Hi, you are listening to the Decolonizing Medicine podcast. We will be exploring the intersections of decolonization and healing work with black and brown practitioners involved in a variety of modalities. I am your host, Jamie Panetta, coming to you from Piscataway Territory, otherwise known as Baltimore, Maryland. My ancestry is mostly Tagalog and some Tanoi, but I was raised here on Turtle Island. I am also a queer, non-binary trans person and a practitioner of Hilot and Chinese medicine. The guest for this episode is Christian Tati. Christian is of Black and Kusabo ancestry. She was born, raised, and currently resides on the traditional homelands of Kikapu, Shawandas, Tula, and Miami relatives in the Northwest Ohio region. Christian is the founder of Loam Acupuncture and Herbal Medicine, and is the first woman of color to own and operate an acupuncture clinic in the area. She founded Loam in 2018 as the culmination of her intersecting curiosity in culture, medicine, and ecology. Christian also has advanced training in diversity, equity, and inclusion, urban farming, and breathwork. So excited for this next guest, Christian Tati. Christian, I've been following you on Instagram and seeing all the amazing offerings that you're putting out there. And so it's just so wonderful to actually be able to have a conversation with you about decolonizing medicine, one of my favorite topics. Um, so how are you how are you feeling this morning? I'm feeling pretty good this morning. Also really excited to um, chat about this very important topic. Yeah. Cool. So um, how did you get into healing work? What was your journey around that? Yeah, I, I like to say that it really began with the fact that on both my mother and my father's side, uh, my grandparents, great-grandparents, they were all farmers. And so on my dad's side, I come from sharecroppers from Kentucky, but they also sharecropped in Ohio, actually, or did sharecropping in Ohio. Um, and my grandmother's side, um, they lived in rural Ohio and, you know, they were just farmers. And so when I grew up during sort of my early years, young child before school started, I spent a lot of time with my, my grandparents and my grandmother always kept a garden. And um, so I would basically just help her and anything that she didn't have in her garden, we would go to farmer's markets in the summer or as late in the season as we possibly could just to pick fresh produce. And so she really taught me about having a relationship and a connection with land. And then sort of as the years went on, I um, started off in nonprofit. Um, That's primarily my sort of career background, if you will. And there just kind of came a time when I asked myself the question, how can I help or do this work in a different capacity? I was primarily doing administrative support um, as well as outreach. Um, and when I asked myself that question, I looked into um, programs. And so I started with massage therapy. So I got my license and worked with a chiropractor, had my first acupuncture session. And then from there, I kind of... Um, developed um, or really rekindled a 
an interest in East Asian medicine studies. Um, I've been interested in the philosophy and the theory for a long time, and then paired with my my upbringing, you know, with my grandmother and my grandparents, um, I started to try to weave together these things that I was interested in, had a passion for, and um, just kind of didn't know how exactly to do it. So it kind of it really began when I when I kind of took that leap um, in my mid twenties around that time to kind of explore what it really what it really meant and and what healing really is and how to reconnect healing the healing ways of my people but also understanding the healing ways of other indigenous um, medicine and and other people of color so that's so lovely you're hitting healing work in all different realms like it's not just food or it's not just body work like it's it's all integrated into your experience which for me that's like really how traditional medicine is practiced where holistic mm-hmm. means like it's involved in all aspects of our lives and it's involved in how we connect with each other so yes. really really love hearing about that so what are the modalities that you are practicing now yeah so primarily i i still integrate you know the, the massage therapy it just it did not leave me um and so and a lot of that is really about paying attention to somatic i guess responses um that people have and so it's 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 certainly connected with east asian medicine acupuncture um and other modalities such as herbal medicine and cupping and guasa and um, even a little bit of sound healing. I did a breathwork um, training last November. It's actually about a year after my father had passed. So it was quite auspicious, the timing. Um, but I found, thankfully, or I, I, the person that I trained with sort of Um, came to me, if you will, a woman of color. I was really thankful to find that training because a lot of the training um, for breathwork is unfortunately not done by people of color, at least at the present moment. So I did the training. It was a really intensive experience. And so um, now I'm sort of incorporating that as well. And breathwork has been extremely transformative. Um, It's certainly sort of shaped and shifted my meditation practice um, which I also try to incorporate with um, folks that I see in my my private practice. Um, and then something else that has sort of, I think I'm just sort of reigniting or just really trying to acknowledge and embrace it is that sometimes I receive messages. And it often happens for me, at least, around death and grief and and it'll just be, oftentimes it comes in the form of a question when somebody either walks in or when they're on the table and I'm like, this is a really random question. <laughs> like, is this question for me? Is it for them? So, you know, I'm just like, let me get out of the way. I ask it usually, or at least now I've started to ask it. And most of the time it's been something that somebody needed to be asked. And so I've tried to let myself kind of like, again, get get my ego out of the way and let that kind of um, modality, if you will, kind of come to the forefront too, because I realize it's something that I can't, I can't quiet. Um, I I did for a long time. So, yeah. 
That is so fascinating that grief is what is coming up for you a lot and, and um, associations with death. I, for those of you who don't know, Chinese medicine has lots of correspondences between elements and uh, body parts and um, also our emotions. So our respiratory system is very much linked to the emotion of grief um, and of and and like processes of dying and letting go. So it just to me that's it's so it's just synchronizing in in how you're practicing and where your skills are are growing and becoming more and more abundant. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to go back to talking a little bit more about the breath work. For you, what is breath work and what is it not? Yeah, yeah. This question is so good. Um, breath work, let's, let's talk about what it's not. It's not a hack. <laughs> it's not an amendment to practice. Um, it's not easy. Breath work is the practice. We might not recognize it as such, or we might not be able to sort of pinpoint, if you will, that that's the work that we're doing. But even if, for an example, somebody starts a meditation practice from point A to point whatever, D, Z, your breath is going to change. And even though you might not necessarily mark it or even notice it, the breath is going to change. And certainly when we go through, as you mentioned, like processes of grief and if somebody passes away or if something in our life shifts tremendously, um, I mean, even in just in my experience um, of having a little one, and that kind of grief that you go through for who you were before you had another soul come into your life who's entrusting you, right, with their, their wellness um, and their health and their healing in, in some capacity, right? Um, there's a process of grief to that. And, and so I think that with breath work and be, in its connection with the lungs, the respiratory system, but also the way in which the breath can kind of shift our other systems in, uh, in the body, um, the way that it opens us up, the way that it enables us to um, sort of tap deeper or more deeply into our sense of who we are on a, a really fundamental level. All of that really plays into, um, I think, what, what, it, what it is, right? So we're kind of back to your question. It is a process of letting go. It is a process. Um, it is a hard process. Breathwork, I mean, literally, you're exercising your, your lung capacity, and that's hard. A lot of us don't get the chance to or we forget to or we're not sure how to. And so that's why I really say that it's not easy and it's not an amendment and it's not a hack, right? You're not going to hack your way or whatever into better health, per se, by by doing the breath work because you have to practice it consistently in order for those benefits to really solidify and um, to really sort of integrate and become become a part of how you, you live and, and, and kind of shape who you are from that point, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you mind going into a little bit more detail about what the benefits are? Like, why, why do we need to pay attention to this? Yeah, <laughs> Ooh, absolutely. So paying attention to the breath can help us in a variety of situations. 
Okay, first and foremost, we might think of utilizing breath work when we're in moments of trauma or in moments where anxiety is high or stress is high. Um, those are helpful examples. Um, and when we can control the breath, it helps to regulate the breath. And something that I've been interested in, in terms of like um, a theory, I guess, if you will, but really I think it's it's deeper than a theory. It's It's more of a a cosmology that we definitely learned about, you know, um, as practitioners of East Asian medicine, being fortunate to have studied this, this legacy of knowledge, um, something my professor certainly talked about while I was in school, but a concept that was solidified for me by the work of Dr. Edward Neal, who runs the Neijing Studies in Portland, Oregon. It's not a new concept that he's sort of... Um, expressing it, like I said, it's, it has deeper roots or it has um, historical roots, but it's this concept that the world operates in a breath motion pattern. And so that's kind of playing to what we were talking about earlier with the elements and the phases of the sort of the five phases or five elements and the way in which things manifest from the cosmos in our, our, our universe. And it becomes more tangible as it moves toward the earth in our perception, in our experience, right? So the lungs, you know, for an example, being a manifestation of, of that um, element of metal, right? And how metal is, is manifested or how it, how it shows up in our lives as grief, um, as, as the sound of a voice, right? As a coin, right? you know, for an example, sometimes air, right, as well. And so, the benefits of, of, of knowing that, or, or at least of practicing something that is connected to that, right, is that concretely what research shows is that breath work can help to reduce anxiety. It can help to decrease feelings of depression. It can certainly help to modulate the stress response and so that our body, mind, spirit can come into a more... Um, rest and digest, if you will, as opposed to the flight or fight and freeze. It can help with digestion. It helps with sleep. Um, it can help also just with general well-being. And again, it helps us to learn a lot about ourselves and to even heal kind of past traumas in the way that the sort of anatomy and physiology of what's happening when we're practicing the breath work, what happens when oxygen and carbon dioxide are, you know, um, sort of coming back into harmony or balance, that process has a sort of spiritual connotation as well. And um, most people who I talk with, who I've experienced breath work with, who I've I, either I've facilitated or I've been uh, facilitated by, everyone has had a pretty transformative experience, even if it's only four or five minutes. You know, um, certainly those who go through training experience it, but um, yeah, it has it has just myriad benefits um, that that really resonate in again the mind, body, and the spirit. Are you loving this podcast and want to continue making it accessible to folks? Then please head over to Patreon.com slash Jamie Panetta Healing Arts. In addition to supporting this podcast, members will enjoy benefits like live seasonal Q&As with me about Hilo and Chinese medicine, 
and self-directed educational modules about traditional magic and medicine. How does breathwork for you, how does it relate to decolonizing and collective liberation? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I would be remiss if I would not bring into the article by Tuck and Young. Um, And in this article, it's about, you know, decolonization is not a metaphor. And I've been, I read it and I've been rereading it. And when I think about how when I think about the process of decolonization, really what we're talking about is very concretely repatriating land to indigenous people. And so that native sovereignty, native land is our primary focus, is the priority. As someone who is of mixed race, Black and and Kusabo, my, my relatives who came from South Carolina were vanished were not were classified as extinct, you know, which is an odd feeling. It's an odd thing, reality, I guess. And to also be of African American descent, um, you know, the idea of being my ancestors being brought here to a land that they didn't know that they were, um, you know, they were chattel property, you know. And so, at once in my head, and since I've been little even going back to what I was mentioning about my grandmother, holding this um, odd conundrum of being um, sort of this, you know, wild, you know, you know, indigenous people are often considered wild, if you will. And, and black people are considered, you know, property. And so it's a, it's an odd, odd juxtaposition that I don't take lightly. And so you know, I, I just wanted to mention that in your que- in terms of your question, because I think sometimes some of us don't necessarily um, don't necessarily think of our of of decolonization in that way, and sometimes decolonization can be used as a metaphor for social justice or other, you know, movements for justice. And it is not that, you know, not to say it doesn't include that, but it's something very specific. And in terms of of breathwork, um, with, with every exhalation, we really have an opportunity to let go. And in, in decolonizing, in decolonial work, no matter what it is we're talking about, decolonizing, if you will, whether it's our mentality, our mental health, our systems, there is a process of letting go. There is a process of grieving. And there needs to be that very palpable process of grieving and grief and letting go. And we have an opportunity to practice that very clearly with breathwork. And and so when it comes to this kind of topic of, of breathwork as it relates to decolonization, um, I think it's important to point that out just in terms of the way in which, for some of us, the term decolonization has become a metaphor um, and sometimes often a substitute for 
or an umbrella term for the work of social justice or other um, movements for justice. Um, and so, and so too, um, you know, I don't, I don't um, take lightly sort of the reality of the people that I come from um, and their connection with land and how also land and breath are very connected um, and how even in our studies of East Asian medicine, there's almost a synonymous feeling or a synonymous sentiment of um, the breath and, and spirit and, and how the breath moves through you. And so when it comes to, to decolonial work or the work of decolonization, we literally have an opportunity with every exhalation to practice liberation and to practice what it means to be decolonial. Because the truth of the matter is that it takes a letting go. If we're really going to be decolonial in our thinking, in our action, we have to let go. And we have to um, also go through the very palpable and real process of grief. And, and it does take, um, takes time, right? <laughs> and it does take work. And... And what studies have also shown in terms of breathwork is that a lot of us are not able or know how to take a really full exhalation. And so, um, you know, that means that we're emptying out our system of that carbon dioxide back into the atmosphere. And that process in and of itself is, is challenging because there's, there's a sense of, there's a, a real sense of letting go there. There's a real sense of not knowing right? There's a little, little bit of an unknown when you're taking an exhale. And you expect, of course, the inhale to come, right? But then there's, there's that sense of, you know, unknown, I guess, or, or fear. What if, you know, um, even if we, you know, kind of were to practice it right now, you know, taking a full inhale to our greatest capacity and taking a full exhale to our greatest capacity. And I think about that too in relationship to everything that's happened with COVID, the pandemic, how we were sort of moved into a space of, of slowing down and exhaling, like, you know, really exhaling, really taking a moment. Um, and I think all of us, you know, many of us would, you know, have come out of that experience knowing ourselves a lot better. And so, yeah, that's that's the biggest thing, I think, is that we have an opportunity with breathwork to practice liberation in the way that we can internally revolutionize ourselves and that extends outward. Um, our, our beings are porous, right? And um, when we've done that kind of work, it, it really does resonate and radiate outward. Oof, I love that. It's almost like... A little bit of sympathetic magic where mm -hmm. we start mm -hmm. emulating that liberation that we want to see in ourselves and then by doing that we are connecting to something greater and at the same time that something greater is also influence influencing us as well it absolutely so, is so all lovely. about reciprocity yeah yes yeah even with yourself mm -hmm. right yeah <laughs> Oh my gosh, all the time, all the time. You know, you just grow greater compassion for yourself. I don't know, do you have, um, do you practice breath work or do you have an experience with it? Not as a standalone practice, but I do, um, I, I do practice Taiji and Qigong. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So there is breath work involved in that. Um, It's even part of some of the dance practice that I do as well. So I I dance with Huriitimana, which is led by Mm. um, Kale uh, Matsui. And Mm. when she, she teaches, she teaches so much of the the cultural context Mm. with the physical practice of dance. And so it's just so it's, it's so great to like learn about the different types of um, meditation and breath work that are also involved um, in that practice as well. Mm -hmm. So we do Hano and Ha. Mm -hmm. Um, We do, we, we like take a moment where we, um, I mean, I can't, I can't even go into like, all of the information around it because it's not my my story to tell but we do take a moment to recognize um how breath is life and how Mm. it connects us to each other Mm. and how sacred that is yeah for sure i feel that yeah so uh, my next question is what would you like listeners to take from this conversation we're having right now yeah to get curious about your breath (laughs) to get curious about yourself and to utilize your breath as a way to explore and to ask questions, uh, for sure. Um, I would definitely say also that the breath, again, is is a way to tap into sort of internal change, internal transformation. And, and I assume that many of folks who are listening are interested, of course, in and doing decolonial work and in thinking and in action. And so it, it just is an opportunity that is, while challenging, <laughs> it is there for you all the time. And you can tap into it and you can you can utilize it, even if it's as simple as just slowing down your breath. That's one of the greatest things that they have found in terms of, you know, research studies that, ha- that ha- can be most beneficial is just slowing down the breath. There's a great book called Breath by James Nestor. Um, Predominantly a lot of the research on breath, at least that I know of, um, that's out there, sort of mainstream public, um, is done by predominantly white folks, white men. um, But there are a lot of people of color um, and a lot of queer and trans people, I think, coming into leadership when it comes to breath work. So I'm, I'm excited to see um, folks step into those roles or move into those roles, I should say. Um, but it is a really helpful book because it provides a historical context, what happens anatomically, physiologically. It even provides um, a sort of connection with our um, early moss and plant relatives, if you will, about their relationship to <laughs> oxygen and carbon dioxide and and the breath and how we've evolved from that and ties in eating and, and sleeping as well and how the breath is involved. So it's just a really thorough um, book. But yeah, I would say beyond the research part, just just see what it feels like to 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 slow down your breath and even if it's just for one minute, just see how that feels and and to note that and to know that you can always you can always return to that and that in returning you're doing the work of of you're doing courageous work you're doing the work of you're doing ancestral work and um, that's important and we need you to do that you know uh, we need people to 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 be them full their full selves you know 
Oh, thank you for that. So Christian, where can people connect with you and learn more about your work or any upcoming events that you're doing? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, my, I'm pretty much active, um, especially on Instagram. Um, but folks can also find me on my website to my healing studio. Um, and there you will find some resources, including um, books, like curated book lists of um, just texts that I love that I always return to. Um, there are study opportunities as well. Um, I do um, meditation and breath work on Insight Timer. And if it's free to use if you have that app, whether it's on your phone or um, on your desktop, whatever uh, device. Um, I also provide um, workshops for community um, via um, sort of virtual spaces such as Zoom. Um, and um, so those are a couple of the ways. I also offer prints <laughs> through a, my visual medicine um, print shop. And really those are, those are meditations for me. I've been, been a photographer for a long time. Um, it's kind of helped to process everything that we kind of talked about with, you know, coming where I come from, who I come from and my lived experience. And so, yeah, they're, they're just little sort of meditations of uh, ways to help calm the nervous system. But um, those are also available. That's so lovely. Thank you so much for being Thank here you. today. It was my pleasure. It was so good to see you and to talk with you. Which BIPOC group or individual would you like to uplift and give some visibility to in the context of decolonizing medicine? Yes, yes. So when I think about decolonizing medicine, of course, I see a connection to reimagining our relationship to land and to reconnecting, of course, to land. And one organization that is working on this front in truly essential ways is the Northeast Farmers of Color Land Trust, or NEFOCLT. Um, I've been blessed to have some um, relationship with them since about 2020, um, and they continue to inspire me um, in all that they do. Basically, the work of um, the land trust is a hybrid model land trust. It brings together community land trust model as well as a conservation land trust model. And really, again, it's about reimagining land access as well as this conservation piece and stewardship um, of communities and ecosystems. And really the goal is of manifesting um, a community vision that uplifts global indigenous, black and people of color and their relationships with the land and skills and life ways. Um, and so this you know, certainly has um, deep resonance for me, um, but also I think it's it's something that I'm excited to see more of in terms of, you know, this these models that are being um, sort of implemented and um, the work um, in this way of restoring and again, repatriating land. Um, I'm excited to see how they continue to grow and as well as how they kind of shape um, the, the landscape quite literally for other organizations to to move into that work as well.
for those wanting to get more information about uh, the land trust, their website is nefoclandtrust.org. And I will also link to that in the show notes. In an effort to make the Decolonizing Medicine podcast more accessible to folks, we are now on YouTube with captions. Since I am the one doing the captioning myself, there will be a bit of a delay getting them out on YouTube. So thanks so much for your patience on this. Maraming salamat for listening to the Decolonizing Medicine podcast. Music is by Amber Ojeda, Head Candy, and Rocky Marciano. Big thanks to Lauren Ellen McCann, my sweetie and fabulous audio engineer, and all our listeners and supporters out there. If you want to find out more about my work, head over to Linktree slash Jamie Panetta Healing Arts. Ingat! <laughs> <laughs>